Hello everyone, I'm Cecilia Higena from Cincinnati Children's Hospital. We are summarizing the talks of the Apple course in Pediatric Surgery 2022. This talk is about management of appendicitis. As a moderator for this talk, we have Dr. Wyth Holcomb. And as the speakers, we have Drs. Mira Kotagal, Sean San Peter, and Dr. Tolu Oyutenshi. In this talk, we are covering three topics, non-perforated appendicitis, perforated appendicitis, and non-surgical treatment for appendicitis. And they started by doing a question. If you're looking at this picture, how would you classify the appendix shown in the picture? Perforated, gangrenous, separative, or it depends? And there's no, to me, there's no real difference or very little difference between gangrenous and separative. So it's either perforated or non-perforated. Well, this has been a standard practice um, here for over a decade. Uh, the paper that was published in 2008, which clearly defined perforation, depends on whether you have a hole in the appendix or if there's a fecal in the abdomen. So when you classified people based on hole in the appendix or a fecal it it impacted your rates of abscess in a way that made logical sense, right? It reduced the rates of abscess amongst the non-perforated patients and it increased the rates of abscess around the perforated patients, so it aligned with what you would expect in clinical care. If you have true gangrene of the of the bowel wall and bacteria translocating across that, is that different than perforated or is that, is that perforated or is that not perforated? Which category does that go into? The, the, the patient with focal necrosis will typically fall into the group that would uh, get sent home. So what they're saying is that from a clinical standpoint, we must divide the appendicitis in perforated and not perforated. Perforated means that the appendix has a hole or there's a fecalate in the abdomen. And that is important to know if the patient can be discharged the same day or if they need to be admitted for IV antibiotics. So, gangrenous would be considered non-perforated. Let's look to same day discharge for non-perforated appendicitis. Um, so, you know, thinking about how we can move patients with non-perforated appendicitis through their pathway and kind of out of the hospital in a timely fashion, and can we do that safely? You know, the initial study with our same-day discharge was way back in 2013-14. At that time, we had a 28% uh, successful discharge. And we learned from that, and we continue to work on that till this recent study that we, we published, which showed that we were successfully with sulfamate discharge 87% of the patient, and this has become the normal, the norm for us now. 87% is a great rate of same-day discharge. So let's move to the next question. Irrigation or no irrigation? Right, so this paper is probably well known, and um, that was back in 2012, which compared suction to irrigation, and the minimum amount of irrigation in the study was 500 cc, but the average that was used to about 850 cc, it showed no difference. So the, the benefit of suction, if I can call it that, is there's no added time to irrigating and also resource use. That being said, this is a randomized study, but there's another study that was a retrospective study that looked at more alicots in 50 cc's, and they went as high as two to three liters based on the other studies say, well, irrigating might also help. That study was three to 12 liters in 50 cc aliquot. The abscess rate in the, um, in the patients who were irrigated was 0% in that study, compared to 18.9% in the perforated appendicitis population. But again, retrospective study, not randomized. Yeah, 0% abscess. I mean, I struggle with that a little bit, which is why I do think we'd probably need more data. In our practice, 
we don't irrigate, we just suction. And I don't think we've seen a major difference in abscess rate. There's still some controversy in this topic, but many people in the room say they didn't irrigate, they just use suction. And now the follow-up question. If we admitted the patient for IV antibiotic, when do we discharge him? If the patient would declare himself or herself, if the patient looks, is is ready on class, wants to eat, it doesn't matter if it's day one, day two. If the patient is febrile, good pain control, is tolerating a diet, the patient can go off. You know, all of those things. We make a clinical decision based on how the patient's doing and then um, get labs at that time to decide about discharge home with antibiotics versus discharge home without antibiotics. Great. So if the patient is okay, they are tolerating the food and they have no medical creations with no diarrhea, they are able to be discharged. But Dr. Todd Polsky was a little bit concerned, so he made a question. Let's hear it. As I totally get everything you said, that usually by day three or four, we know infections take a while to start developing. Day one, they're not gonna have an infection yet. It's too soon. So do you really trust 20, less than 24 hours after surgery that they've declared themselves as good to go? I don't think we should focus on the extreme outlier. Uh, the more likely scenario, the fastest we typically see is somebody transitions between clears to solids on day one, and then we make sure by day two, they haven't thrown everything up the next morning. Got it. And it's usually day two breakfast is about the fastest you typically see that we end up getting the white count. But what's interesting is that we did when we did all these previous uh, trials, we saw a 20% abscess rate, and that was sort of fixed across whether we use two different types of antibiotics or irrigation or whatever. And our abscess rate has finally dropped to about 10% since we stopped treating them like they're sick. So in Cincinnati, we took a different research approach to this using QI technique, and, and we tracked their abscess rate. We had a protocol that's exactly the same protocol, and then looked at abscess formation or readmission for abscess as a balancing measure. And by implementing that exactly that protocol of going home when you meet those criteria, there was no change in the readmission rate for abscess. Okay, so what they were saying is that a patient normally tolerates and can be discharged by day two post-op and treated them as healthy patients actually decreased their abscess rate to 10%. So that is great. Let's go on with that. So this is an eight-year-old male that presents with 24 hours of abdominal pain, a white count of 12, an ultrasound that demonstrates appendicitis with an appendiceal diameter of 0.9 and a small fecalith and no abscess or phlegmon. And the poll question is, which one of these findings makes the patient ineligible for non-operative management? Did you get it? Let's hear the um, I think two studies really that people should know about in the thinking about non-operative management. One is the adult side, uh, which was the CODA trial, which was a pragmatic randomized control trial um, that was done on the adult side. And then there was a trial done in the Midwest Pediatric Surgical Consortium looking at this, which was a patient and family choice study. So I think the big things that we see in these patients to be eligible for non-operative management, symptoms less than 48 hours, imaging confirmation with an appendiceal di diameter less than 1.1 centimeters, um, no abscess, phlegmon, or fecalis, and then white count somewhere between five and 18. So the kids who have a white count of 25,000 were less likely to um, think of as non-perforated appendicitis that might improve um, with just antibiotics. Great, so non-surgical treatment for appendicitis. Is it effective? When we designed the multi-center trial, we were designing it as a non-inferiority trial. 
this is a study that hasn't come out yet. We, we had this debate about at what point do you just say that's, that's too high? And most of the surgeons landed on around 20%. So that's where we set the mark for the non-inferiority non-inferiority margin. And what we're seeing at the interim analysis is the exact same results. It's around 31, 32% one year fail rate. Not all, fail, not all failures are the same, you know? A 30% failure means that they will come back, they'll have an operation. When they look at the histology, not, not even all of them had appendicitis. So um, for some people, for some parents, their quality of life is better. Uh, they won't have an overnight operation. And even they've, they've measured how many days they're absent from school and with non-operative management, there's a non-significant like three days uh, uh, extra going, going to school. So not, not all failures are the same. A lot of our patients seem to have an interval and that's why we we've actually gone to the outpatient management because we think you can outpatient treat them they go home we see them in follow-up and have a true discussion and a, a significant a portion of them will say let's just have an interval appendectomy again you schedule it it's elective and that will probably be a better quality of life than admitting great so i think we can all agree that non-surgical treatment is not here to overcome surgery but we must have this tool in our toolbox to treat appendicitis. Great session, right? Let's summarize. First, we should classify appendicitis in perforated or non-perforated. Second, non-perforated appendicitis can be discharged the same day. Third, irrigations or no irrigations are still a controversy. So, we don't have an answer to that question yet. Fourth, for perforated appendicitis, if the patient is okay, has normal evacuations, and tolerates food, he can be discharged after a white blood cell count. We typically check out white blood cell counts to determine the need for further antibiotics. Fifth, no surgical treatment for appendicitis is feasible, but it's not here to overcome surgery. So it's okay to have it in our toolbox, but we can't replace surgery with it. And that was everything for today. Hope you like it. And if you want to see more, go to a state current. And remember, here at Cincinnati Children's and State Current, we are sharing knowledge to improve child health around the globe.